Welcome to Looking at Lucasfilm, the podcast with a different perspective on the world of Star Wars, Indiana Jones, and all of the other entities that George Lucas, Kathleen Kennedy, Dave Filoni, and John Favreau, as well as the rest of the team at Lucasfilm, have dreamed up over the past 40 years. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host, Brian Gaughan, and I are recording this on Wednesday, December 7th, 2022. And, and Brian... Only 17 more shopping days till Christmas. So you're in the process of sort of gathering the family together for the holidays, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I just picked up Devin at the Burbank airport. Uh, mm-hmm. He came in. He had his 8 a.m. He had his last final. Mm-hmm. And then brought. Uh, then Brianna is having, She's she had her fast, last final mm-hmm. this evening. And then I'm going to pick her up in the morning. And then we'll all be together. And um, there's a lot of things we're gonna to watch. I'm gonna have them. I'm, I'm gonna try. To, I've already seen it twice, but I'm mm-hmm. gonna try to force them all to see Wednesday again oh, because I am so I've... fascinated with um, Jenna Ortega mm-hmm. and what Tim Burton did with a TV show mm-hmm. that I really love it and I really like to see it again. I have heard great things about it, and I'm trying to find the time to watch it. My problem is this past weekend. Len and I were, were down, of course, at, at Orlando for the Gingerbread Challenge event that Touring Plans was running with Storybook Destinations. Lovely time. Met a lot of very nice folks. Yeah. Are we going to hear a lot about it on the, the next Disney Dish? I mean, I want to hear how it went. We'll see. We actually recorded a show live. We did a, a podcast there over folks while they were having breakfast. And this is the history of... The March of the Tin Soldiers in the oh, Disney theme park. Oh, finally so, we get to hear this. Yeah. But the very next day, Len and I went into the parks. We did recorded a walk around of the kingdom. And we also did Disney Hollywood Studios. And, of course, while I was there, I made a point of ducking into the market at Black Spire Outpost uh, just to see if they were, in fact, selling Life Day merch. Because you remember on the last show, right. we, we talked at length. And by the way, I, I want to show you, I put my money where my mouth is. And see, see this lovely item. Let me, you let me got do it. Okay, do my Vanna here. Yes, <laughs> I am holding in my hand here, folks, the Starbucks, official Starbucks Life Day mug that has Chewbacca in his red Life Day robe holding his Life Day orb and Behind him is the old Millennium Falcon parked at uh, Black Sparrow Outpost. And, and again, a little Life Day logo on the bottom. And this has become my favorite mug, not because of the Star Wars Association or the Lucasfilm Association. It has become my favorite mug because it holds two full oh, cups there you go. Of, of coffee. I, I, I have to say I have retired my beloved Tim Horton mug. Well, I bought my Christmas um, mm-hmm. gift for myself. Mm-hmm. Have you oh seen that yet? no! <laughs> wow, is 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 that the Christmas Boba Fett? What am this, I looking at? Well, it's the Christmas Mandalorian. Is it really? Yeah, and he's got a um, I don't know what this this there's this like snow bunny up yeah. on top, but it's called the Mandalorian Warrior. Wow! And can you see that? That that's a lot of co- primary yeah. colors. Wow. Oh, I was I was very happy to get this, and it was funny because mm-hmm. I got this. On my anniversary, which was November 5th, oh. and we were walking through Target, and I'm mm-hmm. going, oh, I got to come back mm-hmm. and get this, because I was mm-hmm. with Liana. Mm-hmm. And she said to me, 
Well, I got your an anniversary gift now, and she gets in her purse and pulls out two one hundred dollar bills. Oh, so I got that. And hold on, let me show you the other thing. Okay, I picked up Lola. Oh, look at that! So I was very excited okay. as I bought these things, and I was walking out of Target. I um, was holding my my Star Wars swag, and then holding my hand up. Like my dad was holding my hand or something as I'm walking out. And Liana thought it was very funny and it just embarrassed my kids. So, um, you know, got a double shot right there. Well, that is so cool. It's really cool, too. I mean, I didn't see anything else like it. So it's like, you know, it adds to my collection. I have to admit, I shopped for other folks at Walt Disney World. I, I did not shop for myself. I, I sometimes have trouble doing that. But my friend Angela and I did make time to head over to Jock Lindsay's Hangar Bar. Oh, you made it over there. Okay. And and for the first time ever, managed to actually get to sit inside uh, the restaurant. Whenever I've, I've gone to this Indiana Jones-themed bar previously, I've always ended up outside. And don't get me wrong, it's a lovely view of, of Lake Buena Vista, but it's inside the bar where they have well, yeah, all you know, the, uh, the dive, you know, the diving bell and all that sort of thing. But anyway, we got in there and the place was done up with holiday decorations. They had a separate beverage menu for this year. Uh, in fact, the menu. Oh yes, that may your holiday be heavy on cheer and light on blow darts. But had a couple of adult beverages in there and genuinely enjoyed it. It was it was a fun time. They, they do a nice job. And while we're touching on the theme parks, it's worth noting that the uh, Grogo in the Mandalorian. Oh, yeah. Uh, What's that, happened? Have they been there yet? Disneyland has gotten their version okay. at Galaxy's Edge. It started uh, those the characters and the animatronic Grogu. Uh, began appearing in that park in November, uh, November 18th, because he is just getting so mobbed in the park. They've made oh, an adjustment wow. to the costume in that they really cranked the volume. So now people who are, you know, five and ten folks back can actually hear Mando talk. Because previously it was this, you know, they wanted to have this sort of intimate experience. And the problem was that the people who were standing right by the walk-around character couldn't hear it because of the loudness of the crowds. So have they got him at the same place that Boba and Fennec were? I want to say yes. I'll have to check on that. Because I haven't seen anything of the other Disney guys. I haven't seen anybody talk about him yet. Well, yeah, and he's, he's been in Anaheim since the 18th. Okay, I got to look for something. I did the, the Orlando version of Black Sparrow Post, and was looking for, you know, to see if they, they were selling the, the Life Day merch, and sure enough, they were. But it was so funny. I, I overheard these two guests. I guess it was a husband and a wife who were checking this stuff out, and the wife was, well, what, what is this? And the husband oh. was like, it's like, well, it, it's Wookiee Christmas. So it's like, <laughs> and I got a Wookiee Christmas to you, too. So speaking of Christmas, though, you had mentioned that you, you came across something that you really think Star Wars fans and, and Lucasfilm enthusiasts are really going to want to chase down? Yeah, it's Patrick Reed Johnson's mm -hmm. autobiography called 52577. Mm -hmm. And it takes place, basically, um, he's a high school student in Illinois near Chicago, mm -hmm. and he loves geek stuff. Mm -hmm. And he hears about this movie called Star Wars that is going to come out because of 
what was it, American Cinematique, and I think Fan, uh, FX Magazine. I want to say yes. Yeah. Something. So then he gets obsessed with this, and he mm-hmm. he really needs to see it. And I'm not going to give too much. Well, we'll talk about it later because I want mm-hmm. you to see it first. Mm-hmm. But I was very fortunate a few years ago. They had a special one day showing at selected theaters, and I was able to see it. Now, at the I think it was Star Wars gathering or whatever that was in uh, the second one, or maybe mm-hmm. the third one, they actually showed a work print of it. Oh. And this is Patrick Reed Johnson is put up his own money for this whole thing. Mm-hmm. And he did a travel across the country, showed it at different theaters, and it wasn't as a work print mm-hmm. to get money to finish it. And he got money to finish it and is finally coming out in uh, on DVD. And I haven't watched it yet on DVD because I want to watch it with my family and then going to try to get a, a screening so you and I can watch it at the same time. Tell you what, sometime in the next two weeks, let's do that. That'd yeah, be, yeah, because we, we've nice. got a, a, a while. And and then by that time, other people, and it's really, it's kind of cheap. You can rent it for $4 on Amazon, or you mm-hmm. can buy it for $10. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, it's worth having because you will see it more than once. Mm-hmm. Because as being fans as we are, mm-hmm. this kid goes through the same thing we went through. I mean, we were in our backyards making these kind of movies also. Mm-hmm. And talking about making backyard movies, mm-hmm. there's a new movie coming out as a new Spielberg film. Have you heard of this, The Fablemans? As a longtime Spielberg fan, I, I have to admit, this is definitely on my radar. I, I'm very much looking forward to seeing how old Steven looks back at young Steven. So. Yeah, that would be interesting. I mean, mm-hmm. there have been some great autobiographies like um, John Borman's mm-hmm. um Oh, I forget the name of it. Warren something, and mm-hmm. and and even who's the French filmmaker Francois Truffaut's mm-hmm. The Four Hundred Blows. Mm-hmm. These autobiographies—they're like these trunk films that they mm-hmm. they've always wanted to make, and they do a fictionalized version of their mm-hmm. lives. And I don't think I've seen one that hasn't been outstanding by because um, they really seem to give it a lot of care. About they want people to know what they went through and what uh, what got them started, and this film I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure the Fablemans as well as um, Five Twenty Five Seventy Seven will start a whole bunch of new people, kids, mm-hmm. and young adults to mm-hmm. want to do what they did, because mm-hmm. here, guys, I mean it's so easy. My my son just made a, a Muppet video for a class he was in. And he did such a good job of of writing it, of acting it, of editing it. And they have all these... I mean, when you and I made our films, what we made it in Super 8, and we like cut it and glued it together or taped it together. And now we can't show it because if we show it through a projector, it just gets torn up. So, mm, well, that, that, that. But now they can just take their phones mm-hmm. and make a movie. This is true. So I'm hoping that these will get um, people back into making movies and going to see movies in the theater again. Yeah, interesting time for exhibitors especially. 
Okay, so you talked about something that celebrates the early, early days of Star Wars. I have a recommendation as well. There's a brand new art of book. It's the Art of Star Wars, The High Republic, which we haven't really talked about at length that this this new Star Wars project that is basically set at least 200 years before the Skywalker saga that Lucasfilm has, has been putting forth through comics and novels or that sort of thing. And I, I want to say we're getting our very first project set in this. Isn't that the Acolyte that's actually Yeah, set? the Acolyte, but isn't that set by, at the end of the well, High Republic? Is. Well, again, you know, that they're always trying to, especially nowadays, make sure that, that, that things sync up with the Star Wars that folks know. And I, I, I think the hope is that if they respond in the way that Lucasfilm would like to the Acolyte, that, you know, they may push a little deeper. But again, if you want to get a taste of of the world of the High Republic, uh, the volume one of the Art of series for this initiative of Lucasfilm went on sale uh, back on November 8th of this year. Originally a $50 coffee table book and Amazon out ahead of the holidays has it now going for just a little bit over 35 bucks. So keep that in mind if, if you're, you're casting about trying to find something with a Star Wars fan in your list. Is it following, is it comic books or is it, do they do um, artwork, presentation artwork for the, the High Republic or? Well, what's intriguing about the book is you see them trying to get their arms around of the look of the world. Okay. And how the characters dress, you know, what the Star Wars universe was like two to 500 years ago. So Okay, so they're giving us a little, they're, they're trying to prime us for things that are going to be coming in the future. In theory, in theory. Anyway, lots to talk about this week, but uh, before we get started here, of course, uh, we want to remind you that this episode of Looking at Lucasfilm is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience every time, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. For me, the big news for the past week was we finally got to see... The Indiana Jones trailer that was actually shown back on September 11th at the D23 Expo. And and more to the point, we finally have a name of this film, The Dial of Destiny. First and foremost, Indiana Jones and The Dial of Destiny. I was going to arrive in theaters next year on June 30th. Raiders of the Lost Ark arrived in theaters on June 12, 1981. So there are 42 years between the first film in this franchise wow. and the fifth installment. Now, the indie films kind of bounce around in time. Like, for example, Temple of Doom is actually the earliest indie story. It's set in 1935, where Raiders is 36, Last Crusade is 38, and Crystal Skull is 1957. Dial of Destiny appears to primarily be set in 1969. And the reason we know this is if you look at the trailer, there's an action scene in the film that's actually set during the ticker tape parade that was done in New York City in August of 1969 for the Apollo 11 crew. But they actually show scenes that are set back in uh, 42-43. So this, the story of this film stretches out over... A quarter of a century. How familiar are you with Operation Paperclip? 
Wasn't that um, the UFO thing or was... Close, close. Uh, Operation Paperclip was uh, something that the U.S. government did. Actually, the OSS, which eventually became the CIA, what they did is they made a determination at the very end of the war in 45. Uh, they found more than 1,600 German scientists, engineers, oh, right. and technicians who they then brought over to the States and put to work. A lot of the guys who worked on the V2 program wound up working on the Apollo program. I can't help but look at, we have an action scene that keys off of the ticker tape parade for the Apollo 11 astronauts. And the fact that we start off at World War II and then we have our MacGuffin the Dial of Destiny. Is it a MacGuffin? Because it, the other movies, mm -hmm. if you was was the um, the Lost Ark, was that really a MacGuffin though? They chased it for a lot of the film, but uh, we we know. got what it was. I mean, mm -hmm. it was explained. Mm -hmm. I mean, the Crystal Skull was explained. Mm -hmm. The Temple of Doom was explained. Mm -hmm. So what if? I mean, this is a weird title too because it it doesn't kind of fit in the other mm -hmm. um, worlds. But what does a dial do? Anthony Breezekin over at Vanity Fair, he's proposing that if you look at the thing in the uh, the in the, the 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 trailer, he believes it's an anti-Keithera mechanism, which was an as he describes in an article recently published in Vanity Fair. An unusual array of bronze discs and gears that were recovered from an ancient Greek shipwreck off the coast in 1901. It was on the seafloor for thousands of years before that. And it dated back to the Hellenistic period between 323 BC and 31 BC. The Antikythera mechanism was supposed to be the world's first computer and would allow you to keep track of the sun, moon, planets, and keeping track of lunar and solar eclipse. So think about this. You have Nazis now working for NASA. It's actually in the last indie film that we, we saw, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. The Russians. With, well, they. but the thing is, it, during that interrogation scene, Indy actually talks about, in fact, there's this great quote, when I was in the OSS, we did 20 or 30 missions together in Europe and the Pacific. So the thing is, Indy worked with the OSS, which became the CIA. So if anybody's going to be familiar with Operation Paperclip... Is, yeah, you're right. It's going to be Indy. And, and we have Crystal Skull happens in 57. This film uh, seems to be primarily set 12 years later in 69. And we have an Indiana Jones... Who's basically, in fact, you know, there's that wonderful narration of Sala at the beginning, you know, to the effect of I miss the desert, I miss the sea, I miss waking up every morning wondering what wonderful adventure the new day will bring us. And Indy, if you look behind Indy when he says this in the trailer, that's a New York cab behind him. So he's now teaching in the city and he tells Sala, you know, those days have come and gone. This is a guy who's no longer in the field, who's no longer, he's te just teaching. And whatever pushes him to return to the world of adventuring, and, and the trailer would suggest that it's 
it's his goddaughter, Helena, played by Phoebe Bridger, how she gets herself in trouble with these folks who are looking for the Dial of Destiny, we don't know. But you were talking about that new AI thing that, that Disney had, right? Yeah, the, yeah that they're doing um, uh, de-aging. And in, in, it's the same people... Wait, uh, who were the people doing it? Was it um, Columbia? They did did the the second run at mm-hmm. uh, Mark Hamill, mm-hmm. and I think they're they made the new de aging, and mm-hmm. it's supposed to be taking off what forty years off of Harrison Ford. Yeah, and if you Isn't look at what the, they said, if you look at that shot in the middle of the trailer where you know they 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 pull a hood off of of Harrison, there he is. Yeah. If we stick to the, the, the established facts about Indiana Jones, supposedly Indy was born in July 1st, 1899. And so, again, if we go with the ticker tape parade, uh, which happened again August of 69, this Indiana Jones in this film is 70 years old. Uh, now, mind you, the actual really for real Harrison Ford is 80. You know, I wonder, because they did the de-aging scene for the, the, the scene set during World War II, which are supposedly 25 years earlier so. But you got to wonder, did they also use a light smattering of, of this to drop Harrison's age from 80 to 70? Also, I've been watching, um, and we'll talk about this later on, mm-hmm. um, Willow. Mm-hmm. And there are scenes where they do flashbacks with Joanna Whaley. Mm-hmm. And like 30 years before the, that it takes place. Mm-hmm. And then they show her, you know, at present time mm-hmm. and she's older and she's, you know, she's got wrinkles. But then in the flashbacks, mm-hmm. she's like she was in the original movie. And I don't know whether they, is that what she looks like now? And then they aged her mm-hmm. or if they de-aged her. So I got to look into to some of that. And speaking of which, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is nobody's favorite indie movie. Okay, until the end, I love it until the end. Well, I do, yeah, but it, just him snatching the hat away from Mutt isn't isn't enough yeah, to, to redeem the two hours that came before that. But there is one genuinely lovely scene in it. It's Indy in his house. He's packing to leave. And his friend and and well was boss, but has since resigned from the university, Dean Charles Startham, uh, the G- Jim Broadbent's character is there. And, you know, they're sharing an adult beverage while Indy packs. And Indy looks at the photos on his desk of, you know, uh, you know his dad and, and, and Marcus. And, and Indy starts off with, you know, brutal couple of years on Charlie, first dad, then Marcus. And this line, especially now that I am the tender age of 62, <laughs> definitely resonates. You know, we seem to have reached the age where life stops giving us things and starts taking them away. And that was in that film. What's Indy like in this film, the where he's, he's no longer, you know, again, he's literally tells Sala those days have come and gone. But ironically enough, it's that his goddaughter, Helena, is in danger that sends him back to the field. And, and I think it's by pal Ken Plume pointed out that what he loves about this trailer is it's the old indie. It's the indie who does 
things badly until they finally work. Yeah. That lovely scene toward the end of the trailer where he's in the room full of bad guys. And he, you know, he cracks his whip and momentarily knocks them back until everybody in the room pulls a gun on him. And his only way out is to to drop to the floor. And, you know, that's how he survives. And that's the indie I loved. And I'm so hoping that... Just to, to yeah. put a little minutiae mm-hmm. in there, um, Bill started working on the, the storyboards of mm-hmm. the truck scene. Mm-hmm. Of when India... Indiana goes and, and you know grabs a truck and grabs mm-hmm. the people and beats them up and stuff. Mm-hmm. He had another thing that he had to leave, mm-hmm. so he told them about another person that was in his mm-hmm. his studio that could do it, and that person was Dave Stevens. No, Rocketeer yes, so, Dave Stevens. So Dave Stevens, if you look at the uh, and you can find him anywhere of the truck chase mm-hmm. where Indiana jumps on the truck and tries to get the 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 arc back you that was done by the first couple were done by bill and mm-hmm. then the rest was done by dave stevens so that's what? a nice what? little minutia trivia no, to know what a great story holy yeah. cow now now this is my idea and it could be totally wrong mm-hmm. but it's just like when i was driving home today i told mm-hmm. i asked Devin, i go what does a dial do mm-hmm. and he says time mm-hmm is it possible in any way that there could be time travel? I don't know. I mean, you know. I, I, I mean, I love your theory. I love mm-hmm. yours because it makes sense mm-hmm. to what George wanted to do in all of them, to bring these these mystical things to people. Mm-hmm. And time travel, I mean, how many times has time travel been done? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. still... We're going to have to wait to June. To and are out we of... all forgetting mm-hmm. the young Indiana Jones Chronicles? Well... I love those things. And there were some great writers and directors on those things. Absolutely. And the stories were amazing when he goes to Ireland and he's there for the Troubles. When he goes, to, he's at Versailles for the, the, the signing of the... Um, the Treaty of Versailles mm-hmm. and how the Vietnam War starts because they wouldn't listen to mm-hmm. the the Vietnam the Vietnamese um, mm-hmm. congregation that comes in. I mean, some of that stuff was outstanding. No, no, no. It was it was well written. It was well researched. And remember, Indiana was a ninety year old guy that was hanging out in museums and and harassing people. He was, he was, and, and he was also what an eight-year-old boy, and I want to say right. a sixteen-year-old boy, and and there was the one episode where where he was a fifty-year-old um, playing a saxophone or a there we go, there we go, you know the young Indiana Jones Chronicles could be, you know, a show in and of itself for us. In fact, obviously, yeah, with the march up to uh, now, I've Indiana heard that Jones. they're thinking about doing an, an, a TV Indiana Jones series. Have you heard of anything of, of this? This is a new Lucasfilm that has learned that there is great value in uh, doing limited series. I, I will tell you this much. What I have heard about this limited series is that it's indie maybe in it, but uh, this is mostly the story of Abner Ravenwood, Marion's dad. Oh, okay. All right, and sort of the man who taught 
Indiana Jones, how to be Indiana Jones. And So and, will yeah. we get like a teenage Indiana Jones? I mean... Supposedly a... A script has been written, a a Bible has been prepped as to where the show could go from this point. You might also remember that the, the Walt Disney Company recently experienced a management change. So that there's a lot of projects that are like, oh, hold, hold for a sec. You know, we, we were initially trying, kind of writing this to try to get the show approved by Bob Chapek, who was the, well, how much is this going to cost guy? And uh, where Bob Iger is like, well, tell me the story. So, you know, you you, you have to sort of change your pitch when, you know, the, the boss changes. But Well, I think there's a, I think there's a money, a lot of money being left on the table with the Indiana Jones and they can do sequels, prequels. They can even recast them. I mean, there's nothing wrong. I think Harrison would, would, you know, he's actually, for example, there's been a number of stories just in the past couple of weeks about, you know, well, uh, does this mean Phoebe Bridger takes right. up the, uh, and, you know, he's like, no, this is Indiana Jones and this is the last one. Okay. And we're not passing a torch. And we'll all know a little bit more in six months when this opens on, on what is it, June 30th, uh, 2023. Mm-hmm. So for now, this is informed supposition. And let's see what happens. Moving on now, uh, we're going to take a quick break here. And when we get back, Brian is going to speak at length about uh, the last couple of episodes of Andor and the first couple of episodes of Willow. Just this past week, on Twitter, an image popped up of the cast and crew screening of the season two premiere of The Bad Batch. Evidently, they, they got to see it before handing it off to, to Disney+. Plus. And had we heard, was it February? When, when is Bad Batch supposed yeah, to be? Yeah, isn't it February 1st? Isn't that where we heard? A trailer actually dropped today, and my problem is, of course, that I was writing the show, not watching the show. But, yeah, we'll check that out. The Further Adventures of Clone Force 99. January 4th, 2023. Ah, life is good. Okay, something to enjoy after the holidays. Oh, so that's not, that's not far. That's not no. far away at all. Oh, my no, gosh. No. It's only a couple weeks. So, all right. So that's coming up on the 4th, and but we just had Andor. A finish 12 episodes, right? Yeah, and, and the way they just zoomed through, mm-hmm. it, it didn't seem like there was 12 episodes, mainly because each arc was its own movie and its own theme. And basically, you know, the, the only thing that was really the same about each arc was that Cassian Andor was in it. But the last two wrapped it up and it left it wide open for the next season. And it just, it, it did a, a great job of doing that. The first, uh, and or 11, the, the 11th episode, which was called The Daughter of Ferex, which of course was uh, Marva. Basically, you know, after all the rest happened, you know, mm-hmm. all the previous, the pieces were being put back on the board, basically. And you saw everybody in their area but you knew where they were going. As soon as you found out that Marva died, and she died uh, in a very, like, she went out with a whimper, not a bang, that you knew that everybody was going to be heading towards Ferex because for some reason they all felt that um, Cassian 
was going to go back there, and they all want Cassian Andor. They meaning the Empire, which is um, Daedra, mm -hmm. Cyril mm -hmm. wanted what, what, what's a piece of him, as well as um, Luthien and and Cinta and Kel. So they were all there waiting for him because they they all well of course Deidre wants him alive because he's going to tell her who who they call Axis who we know as as, mm -hmm. as Luthen mm -hmm. and the other three just want him dead. Mm -hmm. So that was 11. That was um episode 11. So you knew everything like this was going to was was happening. Mm -hmm. And then you followed Mon Mothra and her daughter that adds a little twist to what was going on. Her daughter is actually taking up the old ways mm -hmm. of the Shirindu. You know what? Star Wars is like learning a new language. That it is. <laughs> and, that I, is. and I get things mixed up. And I apologize to everybody who's mm -hmm. sitting there yelling at the podcast. Mm -hmm. But she wants to go with the old ways. And the old ways is an arranged marriage. So we actually see the boy that she's going to be betrothed to, supposedly, and the daughter seems happy about it. So that's that's something that's going to have to take place in the next um, season, and the next season's going to be set up a little bit differently than this season was. So everybody's getting ready. So then you have the last arc, which is, of course, it's called Rick's Road. And Rick's Road is actually the road where the funeral mm -hmm. of Marva is going to take place. Now, at the beginning of the, the the show, where they show the Andor logo, and you hear the Andor music, it is just a brass band version of it. And when you're listening to it, you're going, wait a minute, this is not what I've been hearing in the other episodes. Well, there's a reason for that. Because when they have the funeral procession and they go down Rick's Road, they have two bands that meet together. One is playing brass instruments and the other are playing flutes. And these are like the daughter of Ferrix and all the, the people who live on Ferrix. And they're actually playing the Andor theme, which is the theme of Ferrix. So it's neat how they, they take this music. And then I read something that Tony Gilroy was working six months before they were even yes. filming on the music mm -hmm. so he could get this one scene. Mm -hmm. And he didn't want it to be actors. He mm -hmm. wanted to be people really playing the instrument. Mm-hmm. So none of the actors are faking it. They are playing the instruments. And you you follow them, and everybody's there. Everybody's waiting for Andor, who really never shows up. But then there is possibly one of the greatest performances by any kind of actress is um, Fiona. Mm -hmm. Carol. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what she does is they they bring up um, B two, mm -hmm. and he and and Marva has this hologram, 
and she basically wraps up 12 episodes in about three minutes. And she says they pretended they didn't care, but now they care. We have to do something. I'm paraphrasing. I'm using my own language. But we have to fight them. We have to fight the Empire. And then a bomb is thrown and more explosions go off and all all hell breaks loose and there is a slaughter. But it's on both sides. Deidre gets knocked down and she's gone. You you know that she's going to be torn apart, and all of a sudden this this um, revolutionary you see this guy grab a, her gun and takes her and goes comes with me brings her into a closet and it's Cyril. He rescues her, and I've never seen a better performance of somebody so friggin' scared mm-hmm. than what the actress who plays Deidre did. She's shaking. She's her, she has horror on her face as well as almost love because here's a man who she didn't want anything to do with and he saves her life. And it's just, it's one of the best performances and all you get is a side view of her too. You don't, and, and she's just, or even the back view and she's just shaking and it was just an amazing, and I'm, I don't know what's going to happen to the two of them, but it could, it could go anywhere. I mean, Cyril could be, you know, standing up for the Empire. He could turn the other way. Same as her. I mean, because basically the Empire threw her to the dogs. So we'll Well, see what happens. Or no? I think Tony Gilroy is a a classic constructionist. In fact, we had to watch Cassian, who when we met him, he was a guy looking for his sister. And we'll see, I'm I'm pretty sure we'll see that storyline continue to play out in season two. But also a guy who was willing to cut corners, who put himself first, you know, that sort of thing. And let's remember how this ends. You know, Luthen and the other two that he'd left here in town with the notion of when he comes back, kill him. Yeah, And to watch how Cassian rescues his friends and puts them on a ship and but then doesn't get on it himself and sends them off to safety and then finds Luthen and it's, it's like you know kill me or take me in and to watch Luthen it's like well you know make it easy <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's like it's like okay all right this guy's in and so we we get to see the moment where Cassian buys in he was basically a mercenary when it came to you know what happened to Aldani and when they stole the payroll. Oh this, yeah, this is a different man now, and largely that was because of his time in incarceration. And we should also probably talk about the very last scene in episode twelve, the the post credit thing. Oh, that was that blew me away. Yeah, I mean the very thing we had watched them make for two and three episodes. We finally see, well, where does that go? Where does that fit in? And it's like, oh, my God, it's a it's a crucial part of the firing mechanism of the Death Star. Which wasn't was that wasn't that just being completed in Rogue One? Well, yeah. So because of Andor, Mm -hmm. it was delayed. This is true. This is true. And isn't it basically what destroys, I'm not giving away any spoilers, we've mm-hmm. all seen Rogue One, mm-hmm. but it's what, you know, he was he was helping build something that actually 
takes his own life, takes his life. Yeah, but I can't help but think of Luthen's great speech. I work for a, a sunrise I'll never see. Basically, he knows that it's going to go on, but probably without him. Mm-hmm. But And that's another thing is you cannot stop watching mm-hmm. Forrest Whitaker. I mean, he gives, he's in it, what, three times? And each time he just steals the scene and he just is a whole different character than he's in um, Rogue One because in Rogue One, he's on his last legs, whereas here he is the revolutionary. And it's just amazing watching it. It's been kind of interesting to watch the response to the the end of season one of Star Wars Andor, where a lot of folks are talking about this is the best Star Wars they've ever seen. And I'm wondering your thoughts about that, because, I mean, I I have to say, I have enjoyed all of the Star Wars limited series, but I, I also think one of the reasons I've enjoyed all of the Star Wars limited series is because they have the luxury of telling a story at length, they oh, they also right. can you, you can tell first tell one story which allows you to tell another story and and to build toward a climax, whereas with a theatrical you got two hours of screen time and then you're done, and then in you know if you're lucky in three years you get the sequel. What are your thoughts here? Would well, you- first of all, if I sit back and I remember what the original Star Wars meant to be. It really was a pivotal point in my life. I mm-hmm. mean, it really did change. And and five twenty five seventy seven is is very close to the same thing that happened to to um, Patrick Reed Johnson. He went to school and he tried to tell, and he was in high school. And he tried to tell all these people what he had just saw. Now I had saw this film a week before everybody else, and I tried to tell people, and they're looking at me like I'm crazy. Mm-hmm. But. Here was a, you know, we saw the original trilogy and it was basically a story of redemption, you know, with Anakin, but we didn't know Anakin's background. So then we get the prequels and we, we, we found out what was going on with that. What's going on now, I believe the empire didn't come across to me as evil Hmm. as it should have. Because if you want to go back to who basically the the empire was based on, you know, the Germans during World War II, that was a tough, evil group of people. Hmm. But you didn't get that so much because you focus more on the rebels than you did on... I mean, basically, the empire was in defense mode most of the time. Hmm. And finally, they were destroyed, but... And they come back again. I don't know how that happened. But anyway, this is showing us everything. I mean, there. like I, I said before, there isn't a laugh in Andor at all. And yet it shows the evolution of almost every revolution ever. How it started. You know, how the bad guys come in and they they go a little bit too far. And instead of making the people, you know, part of the group, they make them the enemy. Hmm. And that's what happened in this is this this is a brilliant series that goes back to the brilliant movies made in the past of how a revolution begins, how something can start 
from, and they're saying it too, it's it's all these little pockets. Forrest Whitaker says it's all these little pockets and everybody has their own um, reason what they want to do, but they're not together. Hmm. This is how brings what brings them together. And to now pivot, because you, you were talking about looking back in film and that sort of thing. Face it, one of the other films that Lucas made back in uh, 1988 was Willow. And just oh. in, in the past two weeks, we've had our, well, we got two uh, episodes to start on uh, Disney Plus last week. And we the third one just dropped today. And again, I apologize. I have not watched these. And Brian is now going to try to talk about these shows without spoiling too much. But again, I can take it. But also, we all want to hear about your view of um, these things, too. So I, I, mm. I want to make um, the Willow thing a discussion later on. But just okay. to give my idea, when I first saw the original Willow, I, I thought it was it was wonderful because it, it gave that fictional period of far away, long, long mm. time ago, and kind of gave it a family film type of view. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's a lot of magic in it, a lot of funny stuff. And Val Kilmer mm-hmm. and Joanne Whaley are just wonderful in the whole thing, mm-hmm. as well as um, the crone. Oh, who is she played by? I forget right now. John J- March, I think. Joan March or something like that. Anyway, again, people are going to be mad at me. And then, and then it's been such a long time. Well, why mm-hmm. was there a long time? Well. Mm-hmm. The baby was supposed to be, you know, Alora was supposed to be the thing that really brings everybody together. But she was still a child, okay? So I don't think you could have made a sequel to it until now. Hmm. And what they're doing, though, instead of giving us a two-hour, you know, good versus evil, they're giving us a, what is it, going to be eight hours of, yeah, eight hours of basically a buildup and resolution. Mm-hmm. Now, there could be other uh there could be other seasons and I hope there is because this is a family-friendly version of uh Lord of the Rings or House of um or uh what was it? Uh Thorn um <laughs> House of Dragons it's being called now. But Game of Thrones, it's it's it can bring in the family because you don't have the R-rated stuff that this has. I, I can't remember a show like this that didn't bring in. I mean, maybe like an Excalibur or something like that was kind of family-like. But this really does a whole different take on that type of medieval Renaissance fair type of thing. And the the casting is outstanding. It really is. And all these shows, I mean, they really go out of their way to do an amazing casting. And I'm not uh, talking about, oh, we have to have, you know, diversity or something. No, they got the best people for this. One of the people in it, uh, Erin Kellyman, do you remember her? Um, Would that be from... So she's in Solo. Mm-hmm. And she's also in, in um, um, Falcon what? and Winter Soldier. There we go. Yes, yes, And yes. She, she, basically, she played the same character in Solo and Winter mm-hmm. Soldier. I mean, just a person that was basically a, an outsider. Well, she doesn't play an outsider in this one. Mm-hmm. She's amazing in this one. Okay. And her character's different, but 
they give her more range and she's just outstanding. And then remember the guy who played Flash in the Spider-Man movies? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Tony Rivoli. Mm -hmm. Rivoli, I think his name is. Mm -hmm. He's amazing, too, because he is he's the comic relief. Mm -hmm. He's a prince that's not giving anything away, but he knows a lot because mm -hmm. he's a nerd. And that's he's a geek. And he's the comic relief, but he competes with Warwick Davis's Willow mm -hmm. for the comic relief. And when he says something or he, you know, mentions something that is Willow because he's the wizard, he kind of like, hey, that's my job. That's not your job. And it's really funny, like these two people who are totally different mm -hmm. are sharing almost the same traits and it's very funny and it, it's done very well mm -hmm. and then there's a um an actor amar shadra patel and he plays a character called borman mm -hmm. and he right now he is the val kilmer character mm. and they mentioned val kilmer because he is one of the the women the young women's uh father mm -hmm. and borman was there at the end and and the the one girl or the one woman she needs to find out what happened to her father. So that's a, a neat thing. But I, like I said, only the three um, f uh, first episodes. It changes later on. Um, we only see Joanne Whaley in a couple of them. Um, she's in the t the first two, mm -hmm. and also in the first episode is Warwick Davis's. Daughter Annabelle. I have and, heard about this. Yeah. Oh, she is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. Of course, she was in the original one as his daughter, and mm -hmm. and she is amazing as an actress. She really is. They they give her a really great part, and and she's his conscience. She's she's basically she keeps her father on the right and you mm -hmm. know the the, the right, right and narrow. Yeah, mm -hmm. and it, it really is to watch her. Um, she's going to be only in the first and the last episode, mm -hmm. and to, just to watch her is—is is, I was cheering through the whole thing because she's such, she gives so much to um, the story mm -hmm. as well as everything else. Now I don't know about Christian. Mm -hmm. Supposedly they have him in one episode. You're talking Christian Slater. Christian Slater. Yeah, I'm sorry, Christian mm -hmm. Slater, and I guess the the one episode he's going to be in is—he's supposed to be in episode six. Okay. So um, okay. we'll see that. But the story, mm -hmm. the first episode is basically, okay, let's use the chess pieces again, setting mm -hmm. up everybody, okay? Mm -hmm. Then then it goes balls out, mm -hmm. if I can say that. It just it just goes forward fast. And the, mm -hmm. the second and the third episode will just, you got to catch your breath. Mm -hmm. So it, and um, things happen. I have to see them twice because there's so much happening mm -hmm. at once that you need to watch it with subtitles. Okay. You know, to to get the the whole idea of what's going, but I'm really enjoying it immensely because I think it's I think that Lucasfilm and Kathleen Kennedy mm -hmm. are doing exactly what they should be doing. What's kind of intriguing about Willow is that this project came to life 
at a really difficult time at Lucasfilm. It was in the middle of production of Solo, a Star Wars story. And remember, you know, that they, you know, Phil Lord and Chris Miller were taken off of that project and Ron Howard was brought in. And, you know, Jonathan Kasdan was working with his dad. And where this got intriguing is when Ron Howard came in, uh, Jonathan, who's been a fan of Willow forever. I mean, in fact, there's a wonderful piece on Vanity Fair that, that talks about this, that Jonathan was a fan and started talking with Ron about, you know, I really love that film and I, I, I wish we could return to that world. And, of course, Warwick Davis actually had a role in Solo and Jonathan <laughs> was talking about how genuinely shook he was that, you know, it's like I get to meet Warwick Davis. I mean, the, the guy who played the title character in Willow and, you know, he approached him on the set and they said, okay, you know, okay, all right, you're the son of... Lawrence Kasdan, and, you know, so you're a Star Wars fan, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he starts talking about what Willow, and it's like, I think there's more meat on the bone. And to watch Warwick, it's like, I have been waiting. And remember, this film came out in 1988. Warwick had been waiting for 30-plus years for someone to say this. But but at the same time, and, and also to have Ron Howard on there on the set to tell the stories about, yeah, well, we... We had other ideas we wanted to explore, and it took a lot of selling to get Lucasfilm excited about doing a Willow project, because face it, they looked at it as the, well, George wanted to get another Star Wars up out of the ground, but this wasn't embraced in the same way that Star Wars was, so it's a one and done. And to, to suddenly decide to revisit that world and then to, to not only look at getting Warwick back, but getting Jonathan, uh, uh, Joanna Wally back and Val for, uh, how do you handle Mad Mardigan with what's going on with Val? And well, they actually, because when this first was going to um, go forward, Val was in as bad shape as he is now. Mm -hmm. And he was all for it. And they had written... A, a way for him to do what he needed to do. But this was in 2017, 2018. Yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, COVID hit. Yeah. They had to hold it back. And unfortunately, we know what's what's going on with him now. Yeah. Um, the original writer for this was, um, his name was Bob Dolman. Ah, there we go. And he's actually writing two episodes of this. He wrote the second episode. That's right. And he That's wrote right. the the 6th or 7th episode. Mm -hmm. And and he also worked with um with Ron on Far and Away. He wrote the screenplay for that film. So for, that that, for that him. tells you that, that you know, again, 36 years later they're getting the band back together. Yeah. So, well, all and right. They're bringing the 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 older the old people too. I, not old people, but the the original people. And 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 Ron Howard is uh, executive producer of this, so he does have his fingers in it also. Okay, well, and he was at the he was at the announcement, wasn't mm -hmm. he at the at the um, D twenty three? Wasn't Ron there? Because I think he was at the the Lucas the Star Wars celebration. I, I think he that came he, on. He with, may be, but again, yeah. I'm I'm blanking that he was the D twenty three expo. But yeah, it's worth watching, but also because it's a continued story, mm -hmm. it may be, and I, I know Disney doesn't like to hear this, but it may, but I think that's what people are going to do with Andor. It may be worth watching as a binge. Tell you what, I this weekend when 
Nancy and I are down in New Jersey. That in fact, we, we drive down tomorrow so she can do Christmas Con. I, on the other hand, I'm SEAL Team 6. I take Nancy to the event. She rolls out of the convention center. And then hours later, she calls me and says, come get me. And I, I collect her and get her back to the hotel room and fed and rested. And, you know, again, it's a three-day-long event. So Does she have somebody to go with, too? Or oh, yeah. The, the, several other friends are going. But I'm, okay. I'm going to be back in the hotel room writing and working on stuff. But I will make the time to watch all of the willows and when brian and i next get together uh we 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 will talk informatively and at length about what's been going on with willow the series but in the meantime brian uh if folks are looking for you on social media where can they find you on twitter as long as that's going to be up Mm -hmm. at geek with Mm -hmm. children c-h-i-l-d-r-n Mm-hmm. And um, I, I should be putting some like holiday stuff up because there's a lot of neat thing in my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of um, uh, Lucas lawns, basically. Okay. Well, so I, there's I, a lot of Star Wars out there. Okay. Um, yeah. A lot of Baby Yoda in Santa outfits. So that should be fun to Okay. Well, take follow. some pictures and throw that up there. <laughs> On the other hand, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram as Jim Hill Media, and over on Facebook as Jim Hill Media News. Uh, also want to point out, we have a couple other podcasts here. Uh, we, of course, have The Mothership, Disney Dish with Len Testa. We also have uh, Fine Tuning, which I do with Drew Taylor. Uh, likewise, Marvel Us Disney. Uh, I just recorded a brand new one of those with Aaron Adams earlier this evening. And this weekend, uh, one of the things I'm doing when I'm holed up in that hotel is finaling uh, the first episode of the revival of Universal Droid. So look for that to pop up online in the next week or so. And in the meantime, uh, I'll tell you what, folks, if you could do Brian and I a favor, if you could head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and uh, recommend looking at Lucasfilm, that would be very, very helpful. Thank you so much for listening, and we will be back soon.